lot of friends. I mean, it was a, a mandatory evacuation. It was the storm of the century, quote unquote. Jim Cantori came to town, which I write about in the <laughs> book. So for those awesome. of you who don't know, when Jim Cantori <laughs> from the Weather Channel comes to your town, you better run because run. you're in bad shape. Like he comes where the worst things are happening. Because I knew that I wanted to show that there were breadcrumbs in C.S. Lewis's life that end up in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But what I really wanted to show was that there are nuggets of every author's life that show up in their stories. But there are also large swaths of story that are inexplicable and ineffable and can't be pegged down to logic. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to the newest episode of Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. My absolute favorite episodes are proving to be with guests that you are very likely to be familiar with already, celebrating the release of new books. So welcome to Once Upon Peachtree Bluff. <laughs> Today we get double the fun. I'm so pleased to welcome New York Times bestselling authors Patty Callahan Henry and Christy Woodson Harvey, who, as you all know, are very dear to my heart. Patty, your glorious book, The Magical Once Upon a Wardrobe, was just released on October the 19th. And Christy, your highly anticipated return to the Murphy family, Christmas in Peachtree Bluff, will be published on October 26th. Both, in my humble opinion, are destined to be huge. And the early accolades and reviews have been stunning. So why don't we start out by each of you telling about the books. Patty, you go first. Thank you, Ron. I am so excited to be here with the two of you because oh. we, we, this writing thing, we do it alone. And then this is the best part, getting to be together and to talk about something you create in the privacy of your own space. Once Upon a Wardrobe is set in the year 1950 in Worcester, England and Oxford, England. It is the story of an eight-year-old little boy named George who is ill, and his math and physics genius sister, Megs, who attends Oxford University. George finds a book that burst onto the scene in October of 1950, exactly 71 years ago this week. Oh, I didn't know that. And the book was called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It was the first book in what would be a seven-part series, but when this book came out, it was the first and only, and George is obsessed with it. His sister comes home from university for the weekend, and he tells her about it and asks her to track down the author who teaches at her university at Oxford. 
and ask him where the land of Narnia came from. She tells him this is ridiculous, that it's just a story and it's just imagination. And he begs and she loves him. So she goes to find the author, C.S. Lewis, and ask him, where did Narnia come from? And adventures ensue. That's very well done, Barry. It's a great overview. Now, Christy, tell us about Christmas. Okay. First, I have to say thank you for having us, Ron, and also how much I absolutely loved Once Upon a Wardrobe. And when you're talking about Meg's and when she is sitting in front of the kilns on that rock and she's like waiting and trying to decide what to do. I was like, that is like every girl in the whole world at one point in her life, you know, like trying to decide, like, do I do it? Can I get my nerve up? Can I go like approach this person? Anyway, I loved that part. I loved the whole book. Okay. Christmas and Peachtree Bluff is the fourth book in my Peachtree Bluff series. The one I said I was never going to write. So (laughs) here we are. Um, (laughs) And it is a story about all of the Murphy women. We're returning to Peachtree Bluff. And Vivi, who is Caroline's 15-year-old daughter, is one of the protagonists of this story. And her um, bad teenage behavior gets her stuck in Peachtree Bluff, along with her grandmother, Ansley, and her step-grandfather, Jack, during the storm of the century. Now, if you've never been through a hurricane on an island before, that might not mean much to you. But if there's a hurricane on an island, there's no getting on and there's no getting off. So you better make sure you're provisioned. So if you get stuck accidentally, you're in trouble. So it is up to Caroline Sloan and Emerson, um, Ansley's three daughters, to rescue not only their family, but also to rebuild Peachtree Bluff just in time for the holidays. So there's plenty of drama and family drama, but it's also a really good, just a really feel good Christmas story at its core. Absolutely. I'm fascinated that both you and our beloved Mary Kay Mm -hmm. wrote books for the holiday season that you said you were never going to write. <laughs> exactly, right? So maybe, maybe, maybe the ticket here is to say, I'm never doing that. Never doing that. Never that doing so that. Funny. I cannot count the number of times that people would say, oh, write more Pete's Tree Bluff. And I would think, I would say, maybe one day. And I'd be thinking to myself, lying, never going to do it. <laughs> yeah. I remember saying, I'm, I'm tapped out on Lewis's mm-hmm. life after I wrote Mrs. Lewis. Like, Done and dusted, done what I did. But did you feel like you had like material left over? I mean, did you feel like you had parts of, I'm sorry. Look, I'm like taking, hello, welcome to the Writer's kidding? podcast you- <laughs> with Christy Woodson Harvey. <laughs> Are you kidding? This is, this is what we live for. But I just, I'm interested in that. Like, did you just have, did you have material left over and things? Cause there's obviously, I mean, this book is very different than becoming Mrs. Lewis. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it has a very different feel to it. It's a very different tenor. And you definitely write about Lewis a lot more. So did you just have all these things you had learned that you that were just bubbling inside of you? When I finished Mrs. Lewis, that's a great question. Because when I finished that book, I did have all this material that I was kind of devastated people would never know, which is why I did that Becoming Mrs. Lewis podcast, where I interviewed all those, you know, specialists so that I could tell y'all about the things I had to leave out of the book, but I never thought I would dive into his story life, the inspiration behind his story. And although this is about the lion, the witch and the wardrobe, it's even more so 
about something much bigger. It's just that the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe are our designing principle if you're going to get technical about stories. But it's really just the vehicle for us to learn and explore the relationship between George and Meg's and accepting things that seem you can't accept and things yeah. like that. So no, I had no plans on taking the leftover pieces of that novel and using them for anything else. But just, you had no problem saying never to, to <laughs> but they come to never. you. They bother you, Christy. They do. They do. I know. And I think that's what happens. And I think for me, you know, I had, I really wanted to write a story about a family that gets stuck on an Island during a hurricane. And I just knew, I was like, well, that's a Peachtree Bluff story. So how do I, you know, and writing a Christmas book. I mean, that was just, it's just good fun. Like it's just good fun. <laughs> <laughs> just might as well throw in a little holiday cheer to a hurricane. Why not? Oh, that's right. Why not? Why not? And I love that we get to meet them again and again and again. I also love that it's you don't have to have read the other three. Yeah, thank you. Just like you don't have right. to have read The Line the Witch and the Word. Yeah. These, yeah. Books, these books are an extension of something, but they're not a yeah. mandatory. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that too. There was um so much reading the book that you just give these little clues of the backstory and what happened before so that so that you don't have to have read the others and you can meet them all here. And I think what it is is it's uh it'll germinate in your head and you'll want to go back and if you haven't read the earlier ones and find out what happens and then start bugging Christy about the next one. <laughs> yeah. I always, what did I call this one? I said this, be careful what you ask for book That's right. for That's all your readers. Right. That's exactly right. <laughs> so you're going to get it. Y'all ask gonna... for it. I'll go get it. And what <laughs> Christy and I have learned is not to give and Kathy any ideas that she runs off and does by herself. Mary Kay Andrews. <laughs> so Christy, how did you research hurricanes? Unfortunately, kind of firsthand, I think. <laughs> no, so, um, I've talked about this a lot, so probably a lot of people know this, but uh, Hurricane Florence came through where I live on the coast of North Carolina in a really, really big way in um, 2019, which... Was it 2019 or was it 2018? I don't... Anyway, yeah, 2018. Fact checker. Um, yeah, fact checker. Like, God, it's been so... Like, it's literally been that long. I can't even believe it. And then maybe, I guess it was 2019, but anyway, like we're still rebuilding our house. Like it's just been absolutely insane, but it really, really devastated our whole area. And, you know, I mean, it was just one of those things we were out of our house for like 18 months. And there, there was just a lot like that sort of happened surrounding the storm. And it was something that I was like, Oh, I'm never want to write about this. But I think you get to the other side of something where you start to think like, Oh, I have something that I could really say about this. And there were, we had a lot of friends. I mean, it was a, a mandatory evacuation. It was the storm of the century, quote unquote. Jim Cantori came to town, which I write about in the <laughs> book. So For those awesome. of you who don't know, when Jim Cantori <laughs> from the Weather Channel comes to your town, you better run because run. It, you're in bad shape. Like he comes where the worst things are happening. And so he, he makes a cameo appearance in the book, which is kind of fun. But I, you know, we evacuated and we were, gosh, we couldn't get back on the island for like two and a half weeks. So the people who stayed here, even if they had provisioned, no one had provisioned for two and a half weeks. I mean, just the amount of water that you, that your family of four or five would drink in two and a half weeks, like 
that's a lot of water. So people started running out of things and they were, um, you know, people were coming in by boats to bring supplies because the bridges were closed and the rescue crews couldn't get into the island. And we literally, I mean, fortunately we had a lot of stuff at our house and we weren't here, but I mean, I was calling friends and saying, you know, go to my house. We have food, we have water, we have wine, <laughs> we have vodka. The important <laughs> things. The important <laughs> things. Um, and so we, we have friends like coming to our house to like, you know, get stuff to kind of try to like reprovision because they were running out of things. And so I just thought how scary that is like that you could really, you know, in this day and age with all of our technology and all of our resources and all of the ways that we have to help people, you cannot control mother nature. Like there, we just can't do it. So I thought it would be really fun to write. And so really a lot of it was just firsthand experience of like what we did, not, not me personally, but just, you know, the way that, that people came together to rebuild and to help each other and just the logistics of, you know, coming home and realizing that you don't really have a place to go and what do you do next and, and all of those things. So it, you know, it was fun to write about. And I thought true to life, I mean, the hurricane hit, I remember evacuating September 11th because I thought it was so eerie that we were evacuating on September 11th, but, you know, trying to rebuild this town in time for Christmas. Like that was the big thing. It's like, okay, like we got to have the tree lighting, like the docks got to be ready for Santa. You know, I mean, it was very important. So, but, but there actually was a lot of research, especially because Caroline Emerson and Sloan come to rescue their family in Peachtree Bluff via boat. So um, my poor husband had to helped me a lot because we actually had to like chart this path of how they would get here and how many days it would take and how they could get here, like where the storm would have been going and how it would have been moving. And so there was a lot of research in that way, but it was really fun. He might've been annoyed, but he was a good sport on the outside. So if he was annoyed, he acted like he was having a good time. (laughs) Christy, I can think of way worse research that you could make Will do. That's true. That's true. That's true. That is I true. mean, right? like the boat master, you made yeah. him go out in the boat. Yes. Oh, well. As research yeah. goes, it was pretty good. Definitely. Well, it gave me PTSD, so it succeeded. I survived and I had to be, evacuate South Florida during the years when Florence and Jean came through and yeah. they're like knocking on your doors going, you're out and you yeah. had to run away somewhere. Yeah. So I well, you don't know. Really? I mean, like this house has been sitting here for 120 years. And I mean, can you imagine how many humongous storms it's been through? And it was totally fine through all of them. And our neighbor, you know, it, it's just a total random. It's Mother Nature. You just don't know. It is. Yeah. It is. So, Patty, we're going to switch just a little bit. And one of the beautiful things about Once Upon a Wardrobe is the conflict between the magic of story and logic. Do you mind talking about that through your characters and and how you kind of pulled that together? Oh, I love that you noticed that because Mm -hmm. it's, uh, (laughs) it's, it's, I feel like it's the two parts of all of us. We are in conflict with ourselves so much of the time. And as creatives writing novels And for you, Ron, living and breathing stories and in the library and interviews, there's there's this constant battle between intuition and imagination and logic and which do we rely on. And I feel like we get in some of the most trouble with ourselves and with other people when we say it has to be either or. It can only be logical or it can only be imaginative. And that we have to divide these lives into two. So for me, Megs and George were two 
they were two very real people in my mind, and I hope they are in yours. Definitely. But they were also these two very distinct archetypes of kind of the magician and the magic, and then the logic, you know, hardcore, you know, the world relies on math and equations, and we will find the theory of everything. We will find a way to prove that the world relies on logic and equation. And they love each other, which was my favorite part, was that these two different archetypes, which are two different people, are standing and almost planting their flags on two separate hills. And yet they love each other so much and they are so bonded that they are both willing or trying to see how the other person sees it. And often when you have, when you're didactic and you have an only this or an only that, what breaks it up is a third thing. And that third thing is a friend named Padrig who comes into the scene and brings this union of it all by being the third. And so for me, I'm constantly battling it. Is this a logical thing to do in my story? Well, that's not a good question, is it? Right. Or maybe it is. Oh, right. So this, and, and, and the author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he wrote much about imagination and logic. And his wife, Joy Davidman, who I wrote about, has this great quote that I love, which is, I've realized that life is too intense to be endured by logic alone. And that quote was, was a little bit of an umbrella over, over thematically over this story. So I gave those two things to two separate people who love each other very much and yet didn't solve it for you because I don't know how to solve it for myself. So when I can't solve something for myself, I write a story about it. You know, this was so interesting because while I was reading your book, I was going through the first pass pages for the wedding veil, which is like my 2022 story. And there's this line that like George Vanderbilt says to his daughter that writing and art are what we use to make sense of our lives, but it is science and math that truly govern them. The words might lead you astray, but the numbers are fixed, unchanging. And I just was like, wow. And it is, and it does kind of become this like little bit of an umbrella that like has shaped this story. And I was like, what are the chances like that we would both be writing a story about, I mean, and that's not really your, I think yours, yours deals with it a little bit more, but um, Cornelia Vanderbilt has this real obsession with numerology and numbers. And like, this is kind of where it comes from in my fictionalized account of it. And I just thought that was so interesting because it is something that I think as like artists and humans, and we're always trying to make sense of and reconcile, like, where's the art? Where are the numbers? What's the logic? And Christy, after all of us being together for the past mm-hmm. 20 months mm-hmm. in trans and fiction, we joke, but it's true. We share a brain. <laughs> we share a brain. So this is my milk. And Ron and I talked to Ron Rash last week, and we were talking a little bit about this, um, you know, Jungian subconscious that we all tap in, hopefully tapping into, and right. what I call the river beneath the river, underneath the river we see. And all of us working together all this time, it would be weirder if we weren't tapping into the same themes because we're working on it and working through it and talking every day. And, you know, Christy, Kristen and I have super secret because we're not allowed to tell you next book, but 
we started talking about it and we were like, no way. We had so <laughs> many of the same. Really? Yes. Set up year. And we were like, people are going to think we did this on purpose. So it would make sense. Of course, that we tap into the things we care about and what we care about, we talk to each other about. So right. of course it's going to show up. I love it, Chrissy. I love it. I cannot <laughs> wait to read the wedding veil. <gasps> I know me too. I love the cover. I check on Edelweiss almost every day. He goes, did they drop it yet? Did they drop it yet? I just turned the first pass on. So no. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. No, not yet. Not yet. But I love what you're saying about about sharing the space because mm-hmm. we will sit around the house and we'll be talking about maybe a, a brand of furniture or something. And then all of a sudden it shows up on our phone because oh yes. we were talking about it's, it. Yes. It's like airdrop, it's so airdrop scary. of the brain. Yeah. Isn't it? It is. It is. Okay. So, um, Christy, talk about why you went back to Peachtree Bluff. What was the what was the idea that came to you that said, I can do this now? You know, I think it was a combination of things. One, just during the pandemic, for some reason, there was sort of this resurgence of people reading the Peachtree Bluff series. And so I got a little bit, I was getting a lot of emails from people saying, oh, you know, I just went back to Peachtree Bluff. I wish you would write more in that series. And um, so that certainly sparked it in some ways, because I had been thinking about, you know, what if I did go back to Peachtree? And what if I did write this book about this hurricane set in Peachtree Bluff. But I think the real tipping point was I was a little bit ahead of schedule. The Wedding Veil was already finished because, you know, I hadn't been on tour for Feels Like Falling. I'd been on a really tiny tour. Well, I guess Under the Southern Sky wasn't out yet. But, you know, normally we're all over the place all year round. Like we're three days here, two days here. We're all over. And just not having done that, I was a little bit ahead on my writing. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to write a Christmas book? Because I was just kind of bummed out. Like we weren't having huge family gatherings and we couldn't have our parades and we couldn't have our tree lightings and all of those things. And I thought, well, what if I wrote the Christmas that I wished we were having? And I think that's really what Christmas in Peachtree Bluff is. It's like the Christmas that I wished we were having in 2020. And I really, truly, like I wrote it in real time. Like I wrote it in December, like, oh, we would have been having the claws crawl tonight. Like, what what are we going to do around that? And, oh, like, it's our Christmas Eve service or, you know, whatever it was. Like, I was really writing it in real time. So I think it was just one of those sort of perfect storms where a bunch of different things came together at once. And and I loved writing it. I mean, it really was, it was so fun to write. So I hope people enjoy reading it and it gives them all those good, you know, hot cocoa, fa-la-la feelings. <laughs> I have to chime in and say, you know, of course, Christy and I were talking every day when she was writing this along with Mary Kay and Kristen. And it was during the holidays and it was fun. It's more fun to read it, but it was fun to live vicariously through you, Christy, as you were hiding in the car writing or... (laughs) Like you, you made this for, for writers who are like, I don't have time. Christy wrote this book during the holidays by sneaking these segments of time. And it's such a great lesson in not, not letting an idea come to you and squandering it. Yeah. Right. You didn't squander the idea. You knew you were in the moment. You had this energy because it was the holidays. Mm-hmm. You knew this family and you didn't squander it. You didn't make excuses. And I just, and look what happened. This book is so beautiful and so oh, fun. You. And we all get to go to Christmas in Peachtree Bluff. 
Let's do it. Me too. <laughs> Let's go. I'm in. So yeah, it's it's so much about the importance of family and tradition and home. And I, I just think that we I don't know. We, we really need that this year. I think we're kind of coming out of some really rough things. And, and yeah. it's kind of a question for both of you now. Actually, it's like, what did writing during the pandemic yeah. do for you? How did you do this? Because you came out with these beautiful stories that aren't about the pandemic. So it's, it's kind of a yin and yang thing. And also did this whole thing in the pandemic writing change your style, your approach to writing? You go, Pat. I, I wrote this 90% of this during the pandemic. I had written the first couple chapters, the way I often write first couple chapters, many in my drawer, just to see if there is a story. I had played with it to see if, is there a story here? Is there somewhere to go with this? Who are these people? Do I have enough? And I was set to go on tour for the paperback of Becoming Mrs. Lewis when we were locked down. And my husband came, started working from home. You can't see my face, but I made a big face. <laughs> my students came home from college and graduate school. Another case. And we were all in the house together and all working. My husband running a company. My son's doing homework and taking finals. And I had started this book, but wasn't planning on this being the next thing. But it was my still point in a world gone mad because every day I could show up for George and Meg's mm -hmm. and figure out what their next adventure might be. It was sad, just like the pandemic was. It was teaching us lessons, just like the pandemic was. It was asking the bigger questions about life and death and something more and what that is. And we were all thinking those things during that time in a big way. So for me, writing this book during the pandemic, 100% most likely changed the story it would have been if I'd written it otherwise. We'll never know because I didn't write it otherwise. Right. But I do believe that writing it during that time while the world was going mad, it was my still point and touchstone in a world gone mad. And I hope it's the same for people now. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly uh, as the reader. It just was full of magic. And I, I just remembered when I got the book and I sat down, I was just like, Oh my God, here we go. Here we go. And I just couldn't oh, wait I to dive it. in. What about for you, Christy? Well, I mean, for one thing, this book wouldn't exist if there hadn't been a pandemic for a number True. of reasons. I mean, one, because you know, I had this plan that I was going to be researching the wedding veil and I was going to be in Asheville all the time and I was going to be at Biltmore all the time. And I was like, you know, getting my annual pass and like meeting with all these people and I had all these ideas and then I didn't do any of that. So, you know, all of that research was happening, you know, online and in books and talking to experts on the phone and that kind of thing. So, and also, I mean, just our writing sprints when we got up every single morning and we were all writing together. And so I think I was a little bit, you know, faster than normal because if we didn't write, Mary Kay um, was mean to us. <laughs> <laughs> Called us out on the show. I mean, it was just really terrible. Exactly. So, um, no, I'm just and we couldn't that. lie to each other. Yeah. Like, I mean, you couldn't say. lie and say you wrote your words. I mean, I would never. Right. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but also, you know, I think, I think Christmas and Peachtree and The Wedding Veil, I mean, they're obviously very different books, but I think, they're both stories about 
what we do in the face of an unforeseen future and elements that we cannot predict or change or be in control of. And in some ways, I mean, in a lot of ways, once upon a wardrobe is that also, I mean, Mm -hmm. we're writing about the things that we cannot control and how do we make sense of them and how do we move forward? And, you know, in once upon a wardrobe, that's in a very deeply emotional level. And in some ways, the wedding veil too. Christmas and peach tree, you know, is, is a little less so, but I think, um, you know, all of these, all of these characters and all of these stories are coming up against things that they cannot control. And that is what we were doing was coming up against this big thing that we could not explain. We could not control. And we did not know what was going to happen. And we didn't even really have much of a barometer for it. Although ironically, I was writing about the Spanish flu. (laughs) So we were talking. So now I'm like, okay, two months and two days. It was two months and two, I mean, two months or two years and two months. Like we can make it two years and two months, right? <laughs> That's that one special. I, I, I think you tapped into something so important there because what we do a lot of times, aside from trying to write really wonderful books and get better all the time and dive into the bigger things is everybody, including us during that time, was trying to figure out how to get through it. And we dealt with it, Christy, the best way we knew how by writing a story, right? And that's because story is meaning making. And if we're going to try to make meaning out of something, that's how we're going to do it. That's right. Making something up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Make it up. Except not about your sprinting words. No, we did not. No, make that we did up. not make that up. No, do not, do not. Um, and I, I really, I, I, you, you said something, Patty, too, that like you get better, and you do get better. You both are. I feel like something happened that just makes you each go a little bit deeper into mm-hmm. your story. And I've said Thank that you. before, Christy. Like the tool that you used of the coffee delivery. <laughs> Like, where did that come from out of nowhere? It was brilliant. Brilliant. Because I don't know. I was in the shower. I was in the shower. I mean, that's where all the good ideas come from, right? Right. Yes. (laughs) Shower and driving. Yes, and driving. But I really did. I was in the shower and I remember like just laughing to myself and being like, yes, this is happening. I won't say what it is because I want to ruin it for everyone, but it's kind of funny and silly. But also, you're right, but also a really big tool that kind of the story now revolves around. A fabulous tool, let me tell you. It was really, I kind of want to, it made me really want to, among other reasons, why I wanted to live there. Yes. absolutely want to live there. Me too. Me too. You kind of do, but I do a little bit. Kind of, but with Patty, um, one of the things I loved about Once Upon a Wardrobe is that we get this almost like a side glimpse of C.S. Lewis. So we he was front and center in uh, Mrs. Lewis, but here we're seeing him through Meg's lens, and and we're seeing him on a different level and a more personal thing. So, how did you get to that point, and how did you switch? That was the hardest decision. That was the, that was the, if you want to call it the, the designing principle, whatever you want to call it, that was the hardest for me to figure out and took a lot of alone time walks because I knew that I wanted to show that there were breadcrumbs in C.S. Lewis's life that end up in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But what I really wanted to show was that there are nuggets of every author's life that show up in their stories. But there are also 
large swaths of story that are inexplicable and ineffable and can't be pegged down to logic. And Lewis was nothing more than as brilliant and wonderful as he is. He was the vehicle to show that. So I didn't want his life to take over the story because this isn't a biography or even a semi-biography. This is a showing of how our lives end up in our stories. It just happens to be that he wrote a story that has entered the universal consciousness in such a way that even if nobody has ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when you say Aslan or you say the White Witch or you say Tumnus, everybody knows what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I was watching this like sitcom on Netflix last night and it was something like, it's this really silly, you know, and somebody said something about Narnia. And you're just like, you're right. I mean, it (laughs) really is. It's just such a part of our consciousness. And it's not like it was some, you know, intellectual show. Like it was this, and it was like a silly moment in this silly show with these silly characters that's meant to be silly, you know, and they're talking about Narnia. And, And that, that was the point is that these stories, Christy, enter our universal consciousness. And then how, how did it even come into the world? Well, a little bit was his life, but a lot of it is ineffable. And so to answer your question, Ron, in a full circle, I wanted to figure out how to show that, but I didn't want to lecture you and I didn't want to give a Lewis biography. So it took me a long time to figure out I wanted to separate us by three. And this is not a spoiler because it happens in the first couple chapters, but right. he tells Megs, Megs leaves, writes it in a notebook. Megs reads it to George and we see it through George's eyes. So we're separated by three. You don't have to sit there and have Lewis lecture us. You can read his autobiography, surprised by joy for that. But if you want to see the parts of his life and how they affect an eight-year-old boy who is trying to understand where a magical land came from, that had to use a completely different structure than what what would have been easy and logical? I needed to find a way to move it to to separate you by about three from it. Yeah, George, George's uh, just his imagination and his dedication to this is just one of the most magical parts of the book. Thank you. Yes. Well, and speaking of young people, in Christy, in your book, there's a young teenager who we get to know named Vivi. And my my question for you is: Is that you? Was that based <laughs> on you? No, I, (laughs) that's really funny. I'm like, no, I'm like, I don't know. Call my mom. Um, No, I mean, I think that I was a pretty well-behaved teenager. I tried to be, I mean, I had my moments, obviously, even when I was a teenager, it wasn't like, you know, but I tried to like, I don't think I was ever like that mean to my parents. I'll say that, but um, she's definitely going through something. And I do think that there is a tendency Gosh, I mean, even when we're older, I mean, I think sometimes there's a tendency when things are going wrong in our lives that we like blame them on our mother because that's easy to do. She's going to love us anyway. So we can be mean to her and blame things on her and everything's her fault and and she's going to be there no matter what. So um, I did definitely want to like bring that out a little bit. And, you know, I think Vivi is 
I mean, she's a, she's a teenager. She's a typical teenager and she's testing her limits and she's doing things that she shouldn't do. And I mean, even like, gosh, one of my favorite parts of her story is the way that she like works Jack, who's like her new step grandfather. <laughs> and like, she knows that he's kind of like itching to get in her good graces. And yep. she milks that for all it's worth. And I think that is a very typical 15 year old girl situation. But you know, she does learn some really hard lessons in this book. And she goes through some things that she needs to. But then on the flip side of that, you know, you also get to kind of experience that like really innocent kind of first blush of like a crush turning into something more with, you know, this boy and um, just all of those things. I loved writing her. I mean, writing a 15 year old was super duper fun. Um, But it was, it was funny too, because I have a niece who's 15. And so I would be texting her like, okay, like, so what do you call it now when you're not like dating someone? You're not like, go, you know, you're not like going out, but that like pre-stage and she's like, I don't know, like talking. And I was like, oh my God, that's what we called it too. I'm not that old. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Or maybe the terms have just been the same for eternity. I don't know. But it was really funny just to like, you know, get this like inside clubs. And I probably got some of it wrong, but hopefully there won't be like tons of 15 year olds telling me that I didn't do it right. So hopefully I got it mostly right. I tried to. And, but it's funny how easily I remember being 15, you know? Oh, I think that's one of the fascinating things about writing. Yeah. Christy, is that we realize in writing that all our ages are inside of us. Mm-hmm. If we can, if we take the time and the focus to tap into it, all our ages are inside of us. Somebody asked me the other day, how do you write a 12 year old so well? I'm like, I am. I am a 12 year old. I'm 22 and I am 36. And I am a grandma. I mean, I am all those things, right? All of them. I think it's interesting too. Like, I don't know if this happens to you, but I'll be writing and something will just come out of my fingers. And it's either like a memory of mine or a story that someone told me, but I never could have recalled it. Like if you had said to me, Oh, let's plan for this or let's, I never would have been able to bring out that specific memory, but in the course of the story, it just like flows out. It's amazing. It's amazing. I, that's part of what once upon a wardrobe is about is maybe he wasn't even aware that that trip to Dunluce castle when he was eight years old turned into care Paravel. I'm quite sure he was, but our subconscious just throws up these things when we're open to story that are crazy. I am, my daughter's name is Megan. And a couple years ago, when I took a family trip and was doing some research for my book, um, the bookshop at Waters End, I visited our old family teensy weensy cabin in Orleans, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And it was on Meg's Lane. And I had forgotten, but obviously I hadn't forgotten. So that's what story does. It like does brings up all these things from our compost pile because we are all of it. Good and bad. Oh no, you're good and bad. You're right. My mom brought home my like fourth grade North Carolina project for a little will to look at because he's doing his North Carolina project right now. And the things that I had chosen to write about in that project were absolutely insane. I mean, like I wrote about Biltmore. I wrote about um, the Vanderbilts. I wrote about like some other things that like I want to write about in the future, like this person that I want to write. I mean, it was so bizarre to me, like all these little things. There's something that was like really obscure that I had written about that like I just read about in a book and now I can't remember what it is. But I mean, just these things that you're like, it is, it's all in there. It's all in there. It's all in there. 
Yeah. Well, it's crazy. That's Sometimes a whole po- podcast we could talk about the things we thought we forgot that showed up in books. Exactly. Yes. Okay, we'll put that on the calendar. Put that on the list. I love that one. But it's funny, you're right. I can be reminded of something by a smell or a or a oh, taste yeah. or a scene or a word, and all of a sudden you can actually go back and relive it in a way in your brain, and it's all there in vivid color. It's yeah. all in vivid, vivid color. So, so we would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about friends and fiction. Oh yes. And how that's going? How you know what's what's coming up? Blah blah. It's going okay. That's yeah. <laughs> right. like saying there's not very many stars in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> a few. It's going amazing. A few. It is pretty amazing. awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I never, Patty, I don't know about you. I think you agree with us, but we did not imagine. Mm-hmm. We did not imagine such a thing. And Ron, I think, too, not only is Christy right, we couldn't have imagined it, and we have some pretty dang good imagination. We, we have big imagination. Yeah. We have big imaginations, but we couldn't have reverse engineered it. We couldn't Never. have started where we are now and say, okay, mm-hmm. here's our goal. We want 53,000 Facebook members, 10,000 book club members, mm-hmm. you know, headlining mm-hmm. book festivals. That's our big goal. Mm-hmm. We didn't have that. We no. said, we said, we're isolated. Let's gather. Let's build a community and support independent bookstores and each other and our books and other authors' books. And it just... And, it, and I think if we had reverse engineered it, none of us would have ever started. We would have said, oh, we, yeah. we can't. It's too big. Right. It's too much. It's too hard. Yeah. Like, we, we can't. We can't. And so to just be able to... I mean, we certainly, I don't want to say stumbled into it. We work very, very hard on it. And we have since day one. It's a ton of work, but it's amazing work that we love. And we get so much back, you know, from all these incredible people and this great community. And it's, it's amazing. And also what's amazing is we couldn't have planned that we have four women from four different decades, four different writing genres, from mystery to historical fiction to contemporary. We couldn't have known that our personalities would meld so well that what I can't do, i.e. money, Christy can. And what, (laughs) what Kristen can't do, I can. And what Mary Kay doesn't want to do or can't do, the three of us can pick up. It's just been this collaborative wonder that you can't make happen. You can't force someone to be that way. And when none of us could figure out this darn podcast, we called Ron. We called Ron. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Who jumped in and went, I don't know what I'm doing, but let's see what we can do. We made magic. It's incredible. It's been wonderful. I I think almost like Friends and Fiction itself is a story that you're all writing together because you you don't know what the ending is yet, but you're writing it chapter by chapter and you're figuring it out as you go along. And it's just so, I'm so impressed to watch it, uh, to watch it unfold because it's a never ending story, Ron. There is no, there you go. Can we re record our trailer intro? It's a never ending story. I love it. It's true. It's true. But you give so much to so many people and I hope you, you, uh, you know how much people love you and, and appreciate everything you do and, and just the connection you have with them is just unbelievable. 
Amazing. Can't wait to see everyone on tour. So y'all come see us. We're going to be together. Patty, I hope that we love each other as much as we think. Because I mean, we're going to be together for like 10 days. You are. I'm fairly sure we do because we have been... (laughs) We have been together for large swaths of and time like, before. And like we've been like the four of us, like we've been through some stuff together, you know? We've I mean stuff we together. really have. It's something. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And we and and the support, like I've never once thought, oh, I can't tell them about this. That I dropped this yep. ball or didn't do something. Yeah. Because the support <laughs> structure is is, is amazing, including you, Ron Block, including Meg Walker, including our book club ladies, you know, Brenda and Lisa, like this team is one mighty supportive collaboration. And we will all be together in January. Yay. Yes. Can I and wait? Christy, I will see you in a week. I'll see you in a week. Can't believe it. Thank you, Ron. This was yes, awesome. Of oh my always. God. Thank you. And we didn't even get to half the things I wanted to talk about, but we'll have a part two. <laughs> we can have a part two. Well, we will have away. amazing launch episodes coming up. Christy has Richard Paul Evans coming on. Yes. And I have Alice Hoffman coming on. So oh, cool. who, who's that? I've not heard of her. Uh-huh. <laughs> just just kidding. Kind of Magic is a foot, baby. Magic, Magic is, is a foot. Yep. All right. That'd be awesome. Yeah, All right, guys. Thank y'all. Thank you. Thank you both for hanging out with me to talk about your newest books. I am so proud to witness your publishing journeys, and I treasure watching you grow and sharing your wonderful gifts with readers. I feel so proud and honored to know you both. Please be sure to visit both Patty and Christy's websites to find out where they're going to be and follow their social media to learn all about their antics. And thank you all for listening to this special podcast episode. Please visit their websites, as I mentioned before, to learn more about their tour stops. And as always, we're so glad that you've joined us. And remember, please tell a friend about the podcast. Remember, you can always find all the books by every Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast guest, past and present, in the friendsinfictionbookshop.org shop. All sales placed there help to fund Friends in Fiction, and a portion of each and every sale goes straight into the pockets of indie booksellers nationwide. Since its inception, bookshop.org has raised more than $16 million for indie bookstores. Shop small, shop local, from the convenience of your screen with bookshop.org, and tell them Friends in Fiction sent you. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.